Hello and welcome to our new series on reflections from the life of Joseph. What an incredible young man from the Old Testament he was. One thing's for sure, you will fall in love with him. So one thing that the entire human race has in common is an understanding of what temptation is. We can all define it and we can all say that we know what it feels like. (laughs) True? If I asked a room full of people to call out typical temptations that they've faced, there would be hundreds of responses and they'd be all really different and varied. Perhaps people would call out things like temptation, you know, to fudge a tax return or a temptation to put someone in their place when we think they've said or done something that we don't like. Or, you know, maybe people might say um, a temptation towards a, a bad habit or an addiction or a temptation to hate or backstab or lustful temptations or a temptation to, you know, just give up and quit on, on something or on someone. <laughs> I often laugh and think to myself, you know, why is it that we're not tempted to finish our homework, clean our house or eat our veggies, right? Temptations come in all forms of intensity across the whole spectrum. Some are more mild than others and we can, you know, withstand them with a quick self-rebuke. But others can be so gripping and relentless and it can almost feel like there's this, uh, you know, like a, a magnetic field between us and that thing that we're trying so hard to resist. There's no doubt about it. Temptations are luring and they are ever so sneaky. They pitch themselves as innocent and harmless so that they can reel us in. I often say that, you know, temptations are a bit like the opposite to a sour lolly. Have you ever had a sour lolly? Like they're so sour on the outside, but if you just keep pushing through, you get to the sweet bit. Sin, on the other hand, is like the reverse of that. It's sweet on the outside. It's glistening. It seems really, really yummy. But then the sour bit hits. And that's when we find ourselves in irreversible and complicated messes where we wish we could turn back time. But sadly, that's not possible. And the consequences are actually not even that gracious. In Song of Solomon 2.15, the scripture tells us to be mindful of little foxes that creep in and, and destroy the crop. That's because you see these little foxes, they get in under the fences when they're still small and scrawny and they feed away at the crops and, you know, they just become these huge gutters and they get fat and then they can't actually get out from underneath the the fence that they came in from. And so they stay there and they destroy more vines and more crops. You see, temptation works in the same way. It's so shifty. I love Pastor Andy Stanley's quote where he says, sin takes you where you don't want to go, keeps you there for longer than you want to stay and costs you more than you want to pay. My goodness, how true. You see, the Bible speaks so strongly about temptation. And if we know the destructive mess that giving into them can cause, why do we even go there? Wouldn't it make more sense for us to just keep away from the things that, you know, have the power to mess up our lives? And isn't it fair and reasonable to assume that the average person should know better than choosing a few hours, weeks or months of pleasure at the expense of years worth of repair? Well, 
We think so. But the problem is that you see you and I and all of us have an old sinful nature on the inside of us that gravitates towards things that are not of God. And so to fight these with natural tendencies is almost a lost battle. The key is this. If you and I are going to fight temptation, then we need to fight it with the right weapons. Recently, my girlfriend, who's a nurse, was telling me about this really bad infection that she's got that, you know, it's just constantly oozing out pus. And her doctor put her on a course of antibiotics and she was telling me how, you know, they didn't actually work and the infection was no better at all. And so I naturally just asked, how come the antibiotics didn't work? And like, what are you going to do now? And she said, no, no, Susie, they were the wrong antibiotics. Different antibiotics work for different infections. Okay gotcha. (laughs) You see, this young man in the Bible, Joseph, he knew what antibiotics to use against resisting temptation. Let's have a look at how his story unfolded and see what we can learn from him about how you and I can resist our temptations. Joseph sure had his fair share of temptations. He had every reason to give into them and to give in to despair. So how did Joseph resist them? And so I want to unpack three keys that I believe can give us um, some learning points from Joseph's story and that can help us too. So you probably know the story of Joseph and the multicoloured coat as we're taught as kids, right? He was one of 12 siblings and he was the most favoured by his dad, Jacob. Yep, he was father's pet. At the age of 17, Joseph had a couple of dreams that prophesied into his future and destiny and the influence that he'd one day have an experience. And so, you know, rightly or wrongly, wisely or unwisely, he shared these dreams with his family. And this caused incredible jealousy. Jealousy that hit, you know, And all high. (laughs) So one day his brothers conspired as to how to get rid of him. Actually, they were going to kill him, but then one of his brothers, Reuben, convinced the others to just throw him in a pit, and so they did. Then he ended up being sold to some Ishmaelite traders who were on their way through to Egypt, and he landed himself in Potiphar's house. That's just the back end. But whilst there, Joseph found incredible favour with Potiphar and he placed him in charge of his entire household. Genesis 39.2 tells us that the Lord was with Joseph and he succeeded at everything he did. It's one of my favourite verses. Actually, my mum used to speak that over me all my growing up years. But then one day, you see, Joseph found himself in an interesting situation. And we read about this in Genesis 39 from verse 7. It says, now Joseph was well built and handsome. Well, thanks for that fact. (laughs) And whilst his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said to him once, come to bed with me, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except for you. Because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against my God? Wow, Joseph, good man. 
Joseph resisted sin because you know what? He loved God. He says, how can I do such a wicked thing against my God? And so the first thing that we can learn about how to resist sin is to know that Joseph loved God. Joseph didn't love God with lip service. He didn't love God by participating in the stuff, you know. He really loved God. Like he actually loved God. You know when like you're really in love with someone, they consume your heart and mind, right? They become your whole world. They become the people you want to spend time with, the people you want to keep getting closer to, the people whose opinion matters most in your life. And the people you want to protect, that's just natural. They're definitely not the people who you want to hurt or the people you want to, you know, replace when the next best thing comes along. That's not what loving looks like. You see, because Joseph really loved God, he was able to choose God above sin and temptation. There is no doubt a direct relationship between our love for God and our approach towards temptation. It's easier to resist sin when we're madly in love with God. You know, much like it's easier to resist another man or a woman if you're madly in love with your own spouse. You know, the vulnerability that rises when we don't care all that much about our partner or or we've got no connection with them is way higher. Common sense. And so if we want to face temptations with a little more grit and resolve, we need to love God, like really love God. Loving him is not just a phrase. It's not a sentiment or a desire or even like participation in ministry. It is a verb. It's a doing word. It looks a certain way. It looks like a passion for God. It looks like a a hunger to be in his presence. It it looks like getting in his word daily. It looks like talking to him and, and hearing from him. And the more that we love him, the more that that transforms us from the inside out, the more he changes our appetite and our hearts and gives us eyes for the things of him. You see, despite Potiphar's wife's seduction, Joseph saw that giving in to temptation was an offence against God himself. It wasn't a sin. It was an offence against God. But you see, secondly, we can learn from Joseph that he set a benchmark at holiness. And I really believe that he was able to resist because his benchmark was holiness. His benchmark wasn't be a nice person, so long as it doesn't hurt anyone, Um, you know, um, so long as I confess it later. No, 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 no. Joseph's benchmark was not negotiated cop-outs. His benchmark was holiness. And that is a whole other ball game. You see, sadly, when our benchmark is not what it ought to be, we negotiate everything. And as soon as we start negotiating and compromising, well, you know how it ends. I once heard an American pastor say a really interesting thing. He said that the American culture is good at sprinkling just enough Jesus to make things just enough Christian. My gosh, that is like heartbreaking. And that's not just the American culture, that's us Aussies too. Let's not give scripture our own take. Let's not do what works for us. People, our benchmark has to be holiness, nothing less than that. C.S. Lewis says that the ultimate goal of Christianity is Jesus 
likeness, pure holiness. Amen. You know, a friend recently told me that a girl from her church told her that it's, it's fine to get intimate with someone that you're not married to as long as you don't go all the way. I was like, what on earth? How do we, how do we come up with these ideas? How do we manipulate scripture like this? Christians are called to holiness. We're called Christians because we're meant to be like Christ, right? The benchmark has got to be holiness. I mean, seriously. I think, you know, think of someone who says that they're on a sugar-free diet. It wouldn't be all right for them to eat an entire slice of chocolate cake, but only leave the final bite and then convince themselves that they're off sugar because, hey, I didn't go all the way. I didn't eat the whole cake. I left a spoonful. Really? That's just like mad. (laughs) And so if we want to resist temptation, the benchmark is Jesus' likeness. It's holiness, just like it was for Joseph. Thirdly, we also learn from Joseph that in the face of temptation, run for your life. (laughs) The scripture says that Potiphar's wife spoke to Joseph day after day, but he refused to go to bed with her. And one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. And she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out the house. Now, the story goes on to say that she framed him unjustly and she turned the tables to say that he tried to sleep with her. And that landed Joseph in prison. You see, Joseph knew that the minute you negotiate with temptation, it gets a heck of a lot harder to resist. In fact, it might even become a pointless lost battle. Joseph knew that what he needed to do was run for his life. Notice also how the scripture tells us that she tried to seduce him day after day. She was relentless, nonstop at him. But Joseph didn't listen to her, didn't linger in her presence, none of that. And so let's just get our head around this scene and let's not forget (laughs) that we're actually talking about a young guy in his 20s who was so deprived of love and affection, he'd been abandoned by those closest to him. I would dare say that Joseph's love tank was running on empty big time. Surely you would think that the flattery of this woman who kept pursuing him would have seemed like it was going to fill a void, right? But no. No, no, no. Joseph knew that negotiating with it, politely dancing around it, flirting with it, would have landed him in destruction. He knew the only way was to run. I wonder what you or I need to run from today. It might not be sexual temptation, or maybe it is. It might be a temptation to give in and give up, to get even, to take matters in your own hands maybe. Maybe it's a temptation to hide the truth or go back to that addiction or hang with the wrong people or focus more on reputation management than character building. But I want you to know that God is calling you to a life of intimacy and wholeness with Him. He knows that is the only way that you are going to live your best life and the only way that you are going to step into your destiny. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. God has way more for you and way more for me. 
And so I pray that the lessons that we can learn from Joseph about how he resisted temptation and how he overcame, that we can learn from that and that we can set our benchmarks in holiness, at holiness and that we can press into the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us so that we can become more like Jesus. And so I pray more Jesus-likeness over you. Amen and amen.